Daniel chapter 4. If you're using a pew Bible this morning, it's page 740. Page 740 in the pew Bibles. Just another reminder this evening, we are having care groups. If you are part of a care group, uh, talk to your leader as to when and where you'll be meeting today. Uh, but that is happening uh, tonight or this afternoon. Next month will be our care group picnic, uh, as we've done the past few years. Of course, everyone's invited to the care group picnic. It's not just those of you who are in a care group, but it will be uh, at the park in Nashua on that fourth Sunday in July. And so you're invited there. We'll have more information about that. And uh, just to give you a heads up, we've had an increase of people uh, joining care groups, which is a great thing, but we need to do a little shuffling, shuffling and redistribution because some are getting a little bit more heavier than other ones with the amount of people. And so uh, in August, it will be up to each care group if you would like to meet. Uh, but we'll be contacting leaders and seeing who is still interested in being involved. And then we'll have to maybe do a little bit of shuffling. Not everybody, uh, but uh, maybe starting a new group in a certain location where several uh, people have been coming from. And that will be starting in September. So if you aren't part of a care group, uh, this end of the summer will be a great time to let us know and we can get you in. And that will be really helpful as we seek to facilitate those groups uh, for ministry. And so uh, that's kind of the plan with care groups for the next several months uh, and looking forward to how God is going to continue to use that ministry in the life of our church. If you found your way to Daniel chapter 4, let's pray. And then I will read a section of our passage this morning. Father, thank you for the truth that we sung. Lord, how deep your love for us that you gave your only son. Lord, that we should boast not in ourselves, but in Christ. That wonderful cross that is so terrible, yet so glorious. Lord, through the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ alone, Lord, this newness of life that we have, Lord, I pray then as we come to your word that we would humbly receive it. As we've just sung this prayer of speak, O Lord, renew in us, help us, Grasp the heights of your love for us in Christ. Help us to be warned and to be challenged concerning sin in our life. Lord, that we would ultimately humble ourselves before you. Lord, help us do this now as we come to your word. We pray in your son's name. Amen. Daniel Daniel chapter 4, we'll be looking at the whole chapter this morning, but I'm going to read verses 2 and 3 by way of introduction. Daniel chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion endures from generation to generation. One of the things that I enjoy as a dad is introducing my kids to things that I remember as a child, or things that I enjoy. And part of that, one of those things, are certain movies and TV shows and, and, and fun, uh, fun things like that. To hear them quote funny lines or to laugh at the same things I did is kind of scary in the regard <laughs> of how much they're like me. <laughs> um, but also for, to see the enjoyment that they have. Um, I have to tell them, though, that when they watch a show It's different than when I did, because when I watched the show, I used to have to sit through commercials. And now, when they go to their Nana and Papa's house and they're watching something on the television, 
Nora, the first time she saw a commercial, cried because she thought the show was over. That's it? No, you know. <laughs> but now they realize they like commercials because of all the fun breakfast cereals and toys that are usually on with children's programming. One of uh, the favorite, favorite movies I, I got to show them is a movie entitled The Emperor's New Groove. It's a movie about, uh, it's an animated movie about a king in South America, and he's full of pride and of himself. He is all about himself. And everyone below him, he doesn't consider at all. In fact, he wants to move this one family from their home because he wants to build his summer palace on the hill where they live. And through the events and a bad bad guy and a magic potion and all this, the emperor is turned into a llama. And through the course of him being turned into a llama, he is humbled. He meets this man. He grows this friendship. He realizes that there's more to life than just having everything he wants, but really the relationships and, and, and other people. And it's this classic, you know, pride to humility. And he realizes that and it all turns out happy in the end. And we were watching that. And I'm thinking this really reminds me of Daniel chapter four. Now, certain movie-making companies are known from taking these big ideas, these truths in the world around us, these stories that are so ingrained in cultures and using them and updating them. And I really believe that this story had an impact in that movie. Because here we read of a king who is full of pride, who thinks he is so great. He says, look at my kingdom. And God humbles him. And how does he humble him? He turns him into a beast. Now, is he a llama? We don't know. <laughs> it wasn't an actual transformation, but rather a transformation of mind, a humiliation that God uses to humble this proud king. And this king is Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar, as we have met him here through the beginning of Daniel, is a great and mighty king. He is wise in the way of military strength an administration of overseeing his kingdom. Now he's full of anger and wrath and fury, one that is kindled at a moment's notice, but yet he is still, through God's hand at work in his life, a mighty earthly ruler. And we've seen how he has set himself up as almost godlike. He built a statue of himself. He said, when you hear the music, fall down and worship me. Throughout all of these instances, we've seen the pride, the arrogance, the supposed strength of Nebuchadnezzar come out. But yet we see how he's continued to be humbled by, as he says, the Most High. Pride and humility. We see this evidence here in Daniel 4. And our big idea as we come to this passage is this is that God demonstrates his sovereignty over nations and men by humbling the proud and exalting the humble. By humbling the proud and exalting the humble. Now this theme is not unique to Daniel 4. This theme is woven throughout all of Daniel. In fact, at the end of chapter 4, there's going to be a statement that really plays into the whole overarching idea of the book of Daniel itself. But really, you could apply this to almost all of Scripture, of God opposing the proud 
and giving grace or exalting the humble. We read from James 4 and James recounts it for us. Peter recounts it for us. There are pictures all over the New Testament of God humbling the proud and exalting the humble. Think of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector as they come to worship. Jesus recounts this for his disciples. How there was a Pharisee and he is in the temple praying and he says, I am so glad I'm not like that man, the tax collector. And the tax collector is praying who can't even lift his eyes and he's beating his breast and he's saying, oh Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, the tax collector has gone away justified while the Pharisee is the one who is still in his sin. Pride versus humility. Arrogance versus lowliness. By nature, in our sin nature, we are proud people. Now you may say, well, it's not my tendency to walk around and say, hey, look at me. Look at me, everybody. Now some of you might be that way in your nature. (laughs) Some of that has to do with personality and how our sin is expressed. Some of you walk around and you say, no, don't look at me. (laughs) Don't look at me. Don't, no, I'm not, no, (laughs) no. Nothing to see here. Both of those instances are pride. I call the first one active pride. Look at me. I call the second one passive pride. Don't look at me. But what is the root of both of those attitudes? Self-protection. Self-promotion. Self, uh, it's self, right? Either you want to be noticed to make yourself feel good, or you don't want to be noticed so you feel safe. And it's all about yourself. That is our nature. And here we see it expressed through King Nebuchadnezzar in a grand way, as he is a mighty, grand king. And as we come to this passage, we're going to be talking in a grand scale of nations and kings. But the application can be very personal for us in our own lives, of the battle of pride and humility. So let's look here at Daniel 4. Daniel 4, this chapter, is bracketed by two statements from Nebuchadnezzar. First off, uh, in verses 1 through 3, which I already read part of, King Nebuchadnezzar to all peoples, nations, and languages. Daniel is recording this, perhaps as a scribe or as a secretary, but he's writing down these words of King Nebuchadnezzar. He's, He's making it known. And he says, how great are the signs of the Most High God, of his kingdom that's an everlasting kingdom, of his dominion which endures from generation to generation. Here, Nebuchadnezzar is giving praise to God and who he is in his kingdom, not his own. And it's bracketed on the back end of Daniel chapter 4, in verses 34 through 37, particularly verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, Praise and extol and honor the King of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar, in a sense, is giving, for lack of a better phrase, his testimony to God's humbling in his life. He says, this is who God is and what he's like in his kingdom. Let me tell you how I came to know that. And then he brackets that on the back end with a very similar statement. And through chapter 4, there are three things that we see. That God warns about the dangers of pride, 
that God humbles those who proudly resist him and God restores those who humble themselves before him. So let's look here at what happens and how God, how his plans rule over human powers, particularly King Nebuchadnezzar. So our first point is that God warns about the dangers of pride. We're going to start in verse 4. Nebuchadnezzar recounts for us, and he says, I was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Things were good for King Nebuchadnezzar. History shows that after the first half of his reign as king, things calmed down. As he did away with other uh, competing powers in the world, that there was a time of peace in Babylon where there was rest and prosperity. And more than likely, this occurred at this time. And King Nebuchadnezzar is at ease. He's relaxing. He is taking it easy in his palace. And he was prosperous. He had everything that he could think of. He expanded the city, the capital city of Babylon. He built the hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the wonders of the ancient world, this magnificent garden filled with aqueducts and water and plants from all over his kingdom that he kept. It was truly a beautiful, amazing sight. But in the midst of his prosperity and peace, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. God spoke to Nebuchadnezzar through dreams often. And he says this, As I lay in the bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. He was almost as if he was daydreaming, he says. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they should make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Verse 7, so all these men come again to King Nebuchadnezzar, which was the pattern, right? We've seen this before. King Nebuchadnezzar has a vision or a dream, and he calls his wise men, his soothsayers, his magicians, all these learned men to come and explain the dream to him of what it means. They come, but they can't make known to me or to King Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation, he says, the end of verse 7. And at last, Daniel came in before me. Good old Daniel. He who is named Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom the spirit of the holy gods and I are, excuse me, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods? And I told him the dream. So Daniel comes in, and Nebuchadnezzar knows that Daniel's special. Hopefully he's picked that up by now. (laughs) That Daniel is special, and his God is different than any of the other gods. And he told him the dream. What was in that dream? Well, verse 10. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew, and it became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. And its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Nebuchadnezzar saw this tree and it was growing and it was the largest tree he'd ever seen. Basically, it filled the whole earth and the entirety of the inhabitants of the earth found safety and security and food in it. It was this vision of a great, prosperous tree that provided so much. But, verse 13, something happened. And I saw in the visions then of my head a watcher, a holy one, an angel we would say, came down from heaven, and he proclaimed and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop lop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. 
So this angel descends from heaven and makes this declaration. Cut the tree down, cut off the branches, take off the leaves. Basically, we're going to mulch this thing up. <laughs> now, some of you, that sounds like a good time, right? You say, I volunteer for that, Lord. This tree is going to be cut down. And it's going to be basically destroyed. The beasts will flee from under and the birds from its branches. Verse 15, believe the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. So the stump of the tree is not removed. It is bound with iron and bronze as if to be kept, to be protected. And now something shifts in this vision. It goes from this vision of the tree then to something else. Talking about an individual. Verse 15, Let him be wet with the dew of heaven, let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. So the ending of this dream goes from this tree from it being chopped down to then an individual being, in a sense, turned into or acting like an animal. Being out in the field, being wet with the dew of heaven means sleeping outside. You've ever camped and woke up in the morning with the dew? To live like an animal for a certain period of time. And this is decreed by the angels of the Most High to demonstrate that the Most High rules over the kingdom of men. And gives it to whom he will. God is demonstrating again his authority over the kingdoms of men. Verse 18. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, saw. And you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation. Because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. So here is this vision given to Nebuchadnezzar. And I think you and I, as we look at that, could see some of these ideas already of God's humbling of Nebuchadnezzar. But Daniel comes, and he comes to make known to him the meaning. And when he heard this, it says in verse 19, he was alarmed. He was dismayed. And the king said, please tell me the interpretation, Daniel. And Daniel says this at the end of verse 19, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Daniel knows the seriousness of this vision and he himself says, Lord, small L Lord, that this would be for your enemies, not for you. I think that's interesting because it shows the relationship that Daniel has with Nebuchadnezzar. Ne Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel seem to have this working relationship that's one of... Uh, of friendship. Daniel says, I'd rather be your enemies that this is given to, not yourself. But he explains to him what it means. Verse 20, the tree you saw, which grew, became strong, so it reached the heavens. He says, this is you, O king, verse 22, who have grown and become strong in his kingdom. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. Babylon was the world power. No one could stand up against it. 
But this tree that has grown, this is Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And because you saw this holy one, this angel coming down and saying to chop it down, this is what will happen. Verse 24, this is the interpretation, O king. It is from the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and it gives it to whom he will. So King Nebuchadnezzar is great. His nation is great. It will be brought low. It will be not destroyed, but its prosperity will be gone. And, And King Nebuchadnezzar will be forced to live as an animal. He will have this mindset come upon him for a period of seven periods, whether that's seven months or seven years, or seven is the number of completion. More than likely, it was either seven months or seven years that he would endure this. But verse 26, And it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree your kingdom. Your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from that time that you know that heaven rules. The idea of binding the stump is that his kingdom will not be taken away, but it will be kept until after this time of madness is gone. So King Nebuchadnezzar has grown in his power and authority and his pride, but yet God is going to humble him, take away this prosperity from his kingdom and his power, and he's going to make him like a beast of the field. He's going to be humbled from this great and mighty king to living like an animal. And his kingdom is, in a sense, going to be stopped or, or kept. And the reason that this is going to happen is so that he would learn Again, who the Most High is. Who has ultimate authority? Verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. So this is Daniel speaking to the king. And he says this. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Daniel himself implores the king. He doesn't say, ha, king, you have it coming to you. Finally, here we go. No, Daniel says, humble yourself before the Lord. Break off your sins. Repent. Stop. And do what? Practice righteousness. And this is demonstrating by showing mercy to the oppressed. Don't be such an oppressive ruler. Show mercy and grace to those who you rule over. That there may perhaps be a lengthening to your prosperity. This sentence of the warning of pride has come upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel says, King, repent, stop, show mercy and grace. And perhaps God will show you favor. The dream and its interpretation and the plea from Daniel warns Nebuchadnezzar. But not only Nebuchadnezzar, but us. Yes, rulers are powerful and they have authority, but even us everyday people, we have our own little kingdoms that we like to rule with an oppressive hand, right? How many of you wives or mothers, you're making something and a child runs in or your husband comes in and says, stop, get away. (laughs) Don't mess with that. I'm cooking or I'm baking, right? Um, Get out of the way. I'm doing something. This is my area. (laughs) Now that's a, a small, funny illustration, but there can be very 
a variety of things in our lives that we set up as our own little kingdoms. Our families, our jobs, our areas of ministry at church, we can make our own little kingdoms. It's about us, our control, our power, our notoriety, our name. Whether it's something big or something small, we are still filled with the same prize that Nebuchadnezzar has. And it's a warning to us that if we continue in our pride, that God will humble that. Sometimes in grand ways, sometimes in small ways. But we need to be warned about the dangers of pride. God resists the proud, right? He resists. He is against those who are proud. Who think that they themselves don't need help. Who they themselves think that they are God who who set themselves up as kings of their own little kingdoms. God resists them. And Nebuchadnezzar was warned, but yet he did not heed it. Our second point is God humbles those who proudly resist him. Nebuchadnezzar did not listen. Verse 28, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. And it took a while. God was gracious in granting Nebuchadnezzar 12 months. Verse 29, at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. I think that's an interesting phrase, and it reminds us of another king who was at ease walking on the roof of his palace. Do you remember? David was walking on the roof of his palace when he should have been out at war fighting, and he got into trouble by looking at Bathsheba and everything that followed after that. The king looked out, Nebuchadnezzar did, verse 30, and he says, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. Look at some of those words, which I have built by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty. King Nebuchadnezzar has not learned a thing, so God's going to teach him something. While these words were still on his lips, basically, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you as it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men and you shall dwell with the beasts of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. Seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. The warning again is repeated to him. Verse 33, immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven out and he ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven and his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. He was unkept. He looked like a feral human being out in the wilderness, eating grass, sleeping outside, not caring for himself, not regarding his personal appearance. And there's some question as to what exactly this was. There are, there's a medical term of a condition in which a human being thinks they're an animal and they act like an animal and they do these certain things. And There's all this um, conjecture. We aren't necessarily for sure exactly how the Lord facilitated this, but we see how Nebuchadnezzar himself acted like an animal, whether it was a supernatural imposition on his own mind or God using his own structure as a human being to bring about this thinking. But Nebuchadnezzar is humbled. He who is mighty is brought low. He himself did not respond to the call of repentance and of hum- humbling himself, but rather continued on in his own pride. 
One author said this, Pride is basically a failure to see ourselves in proper perspective before God. Pride often manifests itself in self-applause, which is what Nebuchadnezzar did, attributing one's success to one's own efforts and failing to properly give God the credit. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. Look at my kingdom built by my hand. And the Lord again and again through Daniel and through circumstances has said, no, I am the one who is sovereignly doing this in your life. When we do this, the author continues, we rob God of the glory that he ultimately deserves. Nebuchadnezzar said, look what I built. He measured himself against himself rather than against God. And this is the heart of our own sin. We look at ourselves and we say, hey, I'm a pretty good person. (laughs) I have it all together. Look what I've done. Or we measure ourselves against someone who we think is worse than us. Like that Pharisee and tax collector. I don't have it all together, but I'm better than that person. (laughs) I'm not perfect, but man, look at my life compared to so-and-so. That's pride. That needs to be rid of in our lives. Rather than looking to ourselves or to someone else, we should always look to God. And when we do that, none of us has anything to boast in, right? We are all humbled when we look to the Lord again and again in the Bible. Those who are proud and set themselves against God are humbled, and King Nebuchadnezzar is no different. God humbles those who proudly resist him. And third, as we are humbled before the Lord, as King Nebuchadnezzar is humbled, there is hope for God restores those who humble themselves before him. Verse 34, At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him who lives forever. Nebuchadnezzar came to his senses. And how did he come to his senses? He realized who God was and who he is. That he himself is nothing compared to God. He has no authority or power or standing without God and his sovereign hand in his life. Verses 34 and 35 are perhaps the the best succinct statement of God's sovereignty in the Bible. Nebuchadnezzar confesses this. He says, For his dominion, speaking of God, is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. So the Lord's dominion is everlasting. It never ends, and his kingdom endures. Nobody's going to destroy his kingdom, but it's going to continue on and on forever. Verse 35, and all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, meaning no power or gathering of humans could overthrow it. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven. According to the Lord, everything happens according to his will. And among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? No one can answer back to God. So what have you done? God is accountable to no one except himself. No one has the authority or the position to stand. Who do you think you are? What are you doing? You can't do that or challenging his power. Nebuchadnezzar is clear that no human earthly ruler can stand before the Lord. And we see the result of this confession. Verse 36. At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, My majesty and splendor returned to me. 
my counselors and my Lord sought me. And I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Nebuchadnezzar is restored to his right mind and to his kingdom and yet still more greatness was added to him. He humbled himself before the Lord and God exalted him. We see how God humbles people and through the humbling exalts them. It may may be through physical things, practical things. Think of Job, right? The Lord takes everything from Job and Job continues to humble himself before him and the Lord gives back sevenfold. Here, Nebuchadnezzar humbles himself after this period of humiliation and the Lord restores him and exalts him with even more greatness. And then verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just. And this last phrase, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. This simple statement really is the crux of the book of Daniel, of God's plan, God's power over human powers and plans, right? Because in our pride, we think we have it figured out, but yet God humbles those who do. And there's going to be a pivot here to chapter 5 when we see a king who is full of pride who does not humble himself and what God does with that. God is able to humble the proud. Nebuchadnezzar here seems to finally have recognized who the Lord is. There's the question, did Nebuchadnezzar become a believer? As much as an Old Testament saint in our language, you could say, gets saved. Does he become a true follower of, of Yahweh? We don't know for sure. But a couple things are interesting. That this statement is the last statement that we hear from Nebuchadnezzar. This is kind of the final conclusion to our interaction with Nebuchadnezzar. And as you read it, you see his demonstration and understanding of who the Lord is. So does he come to a saving knowledge of Yahweh? Perhaps. We don't know. We'll have to see on that day. But this is the fullest comprehension we read of Nebuchadnezzar's understanding of who God is. And it's clear for us to learn the truth that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. No one can stand before the Lord. Those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So then what's our hope? Because we are full of pride. Our hope is in God. Our hope is in the one who is from everlasting to everlasting, who is all-powerful, the one who has every reason to boast, yet what has he done? He himself has humbled himself. He sent his only son, Philippians 2, to be born, to take on flesh, to live as a simple carpenter, to live as a humble human being, to humble himself to the point of death, even the death of a cross. And through that humiliation and humbling, Jesus Christ is exalted. And through that humiliation and humbling, we are given the opportunity of salvation. So that in the midst of our pride, we humble ourselves and come to Christ. And what do we receive? Forgiveness for our sins, for our pride. And what do we receive? Eternal life, exaltation as sons and daughters of God. 
It's so funny. It's so ironic. It's so contrary to our thinking because we are proud and we think, I want this or I'm so great. Look at me. But yet our kingdoms, our lives will end up being worthless unless we humble ourselves and receive that eternal gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, of acceptance into God's kingdom where we rule and reign with him forever. When we remain in our pride, we end up with nothing. But yet when we humble ourselves, we receive almost everything. Philippians 2. Humble ourselves just as Christ himself humbled himself. James 4. Resist the devil. Flee from him. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. We do not trust in our works our reputation, our family name, our position, or anything we do, but it's Christ and His cross only. That is our only hope against our pride. When we start to become filled with pride, we need to look at the cross and realize that we are sinners in need of a Savior. The cross, as much as it is a wonderful display of God's salvation, it's also a reminder for us that, as Paul says in Romans 12.3, to not think so highly of yourself as you ought to think. (laughs) That we need to humble ourselves consistently and find our value and our position and who we are in Jesus Christ. Paul says, far be it from me to boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. We live not for ourselves, but for him. One final thought from an author. This author says this, Many of us easily get caught up in building our own little kingdoms. When we do that, we fail to really see the purpose for which God made us. We do not realize our own potential as humans until we realize that it is not our kingdom that matters, but God's. So how about you? Are you wrapped up in building your own kingdom or do you see God's kingdom as the true goal? When we are living for his kingdom, then we find our true fulfillment in life. And God brings out the full potential for which he created us. For not my will, but your will. Not my glory, but your glory. For the Most High. May we humble ourselves before him. And as we humble, find the exaltation that is promised in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this morning and the reminder from your word and the warning against pride. Lord, of your sovereign hand over kings and nations, but also of our own very lives. Help us to humble ourselves before you. Lord, that we walk in a manner that is pleasing to you, not making much of us, but making much of you. In simple conversation, conversations and activities, may we live for your kingdom and not our own. We pray in Christ's name.